You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. And good morning, good afternoon, whatever the case may be. You are here live with Dr. Jeff Werber, your host. For the next 30 minutes here on Pet Life Radio's live call-in show, Ask the Best with Dr. Jeff. Live call-in, an unusual uh, name for a show because nobody calls in. We want to hear from you. But, um, making it so easy, we're making it fun. You can either get a hold of us by the good old-fashioned way, give us a toll-free call at 877-385-8882, or you can join us online if you go to PetLifeRadio.com. You can go down to shows, follow down to Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff, and there will be our show. And what you can do is there is a link. If you go down to the chat area, you can, again, type your message there. We'll answer it right away. Or you can go two little boxes down. It says Pet Life Radio Google Hangouts, and there's a link. And if you click on to that link, you'll be able to join us live here on Pet Life Radio. Um, if you have a little camera on your computer, hopefully you do. We can see you. You can see us. You can bring your dog or cat or bird into the picture, and we can all see your pets as well. And uh, you can ask me any questions you want about your pets. We're here for you. Uh, We're here thanks to our sponsors, Kong Veterinary Products, fantastic products for pets, Save This Life Microchip, ProSense Pet Products, and working on a new sponsor. I'm going to actually give them a little shout-out now. That's uh, Merck with Brevecto. Brevecto, and the reason I'm so impressed with Merck, I work with a group called Hounds for Heroes, And they organized a trip to the Dominican Republic to capture and spay and neuter these street dogs. They uh, they did about 40 or 50 dogs in a two-day span. And I think it's great. And I had spoken to Merck and said, you know, guys, your your Brevecto is great for fleas and ticks. And unlike some of the others, it's good for three months. These dogs, once we lose them, once we let them go after their surgery, they're not coming back. So we want to give them at least three-month protection. That's a you know really good long-term protection. And they donated Brevecto for all of these dogs, which is, I think, fantastic. So we want to publicly thank Merck and Brevecto for supplying these Hounds for Heroes with these the Brevectos to kill off and, and control fleas and ticks on these wild stray dogs. And Hounds for Heroes for having them spayed and neutered, working with the local veterinarians in the Dominican Republic and covering all the costs of spay-neuter. So I think that's great. And uh, that's how we help control the populations of these places. I did a trip like this myself a number of years ago in the Amazon. We had amazing times there. We were there for about 10 days, and about seven or eight of the 10 days, we got a chance to work, and we spayed and neutered close to 200 dogs and cats. It was me, two veterinarians from Australia, one from New Zealand, one from Italy, and we just had a fantastic time. And boy, I, I tell you, When you do a trip like that, and as a veterinarian, and you're doing it just for the sake of doing it, it's the right thing to do. You're not doing it for the money. You're not doing it for the glory. You're doing it because we have these animals that need help, and we get to help them. I had an opportunity to, there was a dog that was cut open by a propeller in the Amazon River. I sewed him up. We had a dog who was a fairly young husky who had a tumor, a mammary tumor, probably the size of a basketball. It was huge. We took the tumor off of this dog, and the uh, dog is doing great. So it's really, really fun to do things like that. And I want to, once again, thank Provecto and Merck for the necessary flea and tick 
killer so we can help these animals. Anyway, uh, once again, call me if you have any questions we, I, we have. I'm going to go through a, a few little news uh, items here that hit the American Veterinary Medical Association smart brief. And uh, then we're going to go into a topic that I wanted to talk about today because I'm seeing a lot of it. And I know I am seeing a lot of it, but I want to help you sort of sift through the different possibilities because, you know, my, I feel my job here is to help you understand certain conditions and disease processes. And also, if more than just understanding is telling you or teaching you when, as is the case in most cases, when not to panic. Because I feel that many of you, you hear something, you see something in your pet, and immediately you're panicked. Because if you go onto Dr. Google, they give you the worst of the worst scenarios. And those are so uncommon, what they talk about. I can't, whenever a client has dog, it calls me and the dog has a symptom and they said, they, but it could be so-and-so. I go, oh my God, you've been into, you've seen Dr. Google. I know it right away because they don't tell you about all the much more common things. All they talk about is the 1% or a half or a quarter percent of cases that turn out to be these really weird, dangerous, sad, you know, serious diseases. That's not the case. That's not reality. And you can't go through life thinking that every time you have a little mosquito bite that you have cancer on your skin. You just can't do that. So- Anyway, we're going to help you uh, kind of go through that. So first of all, it's interesting how they have, you know, again, this time of year, so I understand it, but they actually had a little blurb on the smart brief about tick removal because so many of you out there are trying to do it yourself. And if you don't do it right, yes, then you could leave the head in. You might have some problems. So let's go through some of the things that you probably have done or, or tried to do or read about. And I don't think it's a good idea. First of all, pulling the tick, just pulling it, not a good idea. You will inadvertently, inevitably leave the mouth parts inside your dog on the skin. It's like they're like jaws of life. Those things are locked into that skin. There's no way you can just pull it off. And now if you happen to see the tick moving, walking between meals where it's looking for a new spot on your dog to attack, then yes, then you can take it off. But otherwise, don't try to just pull it off. Secondly, dousing it in Vaseline. You will have a greasy dog, and that's about it. Not going to work. The match, the lighted match. Now, what people don't understand, and this is, you know, it's like that game when you play as telephone as a kid. You sit in a circle, and someone whispers something in someone's ear, and by the time it gets around back to the beginning, it is nothing like you heard initially that the person who started, he goes, I didn't say that. Well, that's what you get with this match. The, the way it was thought to work is that, not that you burn the tick live on your live dog, because then you're going to get a burnt live dog. No. The thought was that people do, and still maybe can work, you take a match, you light it, you let it get really hot, you blow the match out. Mind you, blow the match out. Then you can take the tip of the match, still hot, put it on the back of the tick. So it means you got to be a pretty good-sized tick. And supposedly, the mouth parts will loosen up, and then you can remove the tick. Folks, I wouldn't try that at home, but... That is the theory. But now you see people literally trying to burn a tick off their dog. Not a good idea. There are devices, and you can see your veterinarian. That's probably one of the best things to do if you don't know what you're doing. But there are devices out there. There are detickers, the tick remover, and I think they work really well. The premise is this. And you can, if you have like a little mosquito hemostat, you can do the same thing. You want to clamp or use the remover as close to the skin as possible. So it's at the point where the mouth parts are attached, digging into your dog's skin or cat skin. 
Then you start unscrewing. I like I go counterclockwise because I'm so used to when I think in general of unscrewing something, I'm going counterclockwise. You can go clockwise too, but I'm just so you know, I'm just so used when you want to remove a screw, you unscrew it counterclockwise. So anyway, you slowly don't even try to pull. You go at least two full revolutions at 720 degrees, right? 360 twice, you got the math. And then after the full second revolution, now as you continue to turn. The next 360, the next 360, maybe after that, you're turning and you're gently, underlying the word gently, raising at the same time. And if you have the right device and with the right technique, I don't think I've ever left mouth parts in. So if you have any trouble, see your veterinarian. But it is true that that's something that people kind of need to know about. Next, there was a study came out, which we knew about, about the dangers of certain parasites. Roundworms, for example, can be, you know, have human health hazards. So make sure if your pet has parasites, sometimes you'll see roundworms, they look like long spaghetti. Usually we'll see them in puppies or dogs, adult dogs that are playing with puppies. They get it from eating each other's poop. I know your dog will tell me you has never done that. Trust me, I guarantee he or she has. Anyway, so that's how roundworms are spread. But like hookworms, there are some human health hazards as well. We see it more in third world countries. Kids playing with the dog who's got roundworms. They're petting. The dogs are licking them in the face after cleaning their own butts. And uh, the kid has some residue of stool on their fingers. And they go into the kitchen to grab their sandwich or their cookie without washing their hands first after playing with the dog. And guess what? They ingest the parasite egg. So that's how that cycle happens. So just understand it's a possibility. Uh, They talk about importance of um, wellness exams and the concern there is since most of our vaccines now, many of them are going to three years, rabies, distemper parvo, et cetera, that people are going to become complacent and think, well, God, if my vaccines aren't due every three years, then I don't have to go in for every three years. No, 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 that's not the case. Make sure you still have an annual wellness exam we used to call it a vaccine, whatever you want to call it. Just make sure that you keep it on your calendar. If your veterinarian wants to see your pet once a year, and I'm not talking blood work and fecal analyses in a perfectly healthy, normal dog. I'm just saying it's important to have a professional look at your dog. They know what to look for. They know what to listen for and uh, they, to talk about some of the issues. And preventive medicine is way better than treating diseases because you missed the fact when you could have been preventive. So uh, wellness exams is really a good habit to stay in. Really cute story that a dog's microchip led rescuers to the owner. Owner and dog were hiking. They're lost. Dog gets away. They find the dog, take him in, and a microchip is identified. They now know the owner. Oh, my God, they realize that's the same owner that's been missing for two days. So they, they got it that, yep, the guy must be out. And sure enough, rescuers found the owner through the dog's microchip. So if you hike with your dog, make sure you get your dog microchip just in case you get lost. Sometimes they will lead rescuers to you as well uh, if you don't want to get yourself microchipped or have your own uh, GPS device. And uh, one more, uh, that skin allergies. You know, yes, this time of year we see a lot of them. So right away we're thinking pollens, we're thinking fleas, we're thinking, you know, food allergies, things like that. But make sure you understand that there are a number of reasons that dogs present with skin allergies or skin problems, such as immune-mediated diseases, such as cancer, such as hormone imbalances. For example, dogs with Cushing's disease are going to potentially have skin problems as well. They can have uh, dogs with Addison's disease can have skin problems. Uh, Skin infections are on the rise in these dogs. Their immune systems are affected. Immune-mediated diseases can also cause skin problems. Things like pemphigus. So cancer, there's such a thing as lymphoma of the skin, and that also can cause obviously skin problems. So mast cell tumors, uh, there are so many things that can present with irritation, rashes, things on the skin that aren't just 
mites or allergy. So keep that in mind as well. What I wanted to talk to you today, and we're going to just give you the intro before we break, and that is coughing. And why I'm talking about it now is that it's summertime. It's gorgeous weather out there. A lot of people are going out with their pets, spending more time with their pets. And when they go to public places like dog parks and trails, and there are a lot of other dogs there, we don't know about those other dogs as well. So there are so many reasons that dogs cough. And I just want to kind of take you through the horses versus the zebras, meaning the things that are very common, more likely, and how you can evaluate based on lifestyle, age of the dog, breed, so many conditions that will help you differentiate whether or not you're, this is something to really panic about or not. So if you want to listen about coughing dogs, if you want to learn something really cool, then stay tuned. We're going to break short break for our sponsors, and we'll be back in just a minute here live with Dr. Jeff on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. This is my tired of itching face. Does your dog suffer from persistent itching and scratching? Allergies and skin irritations caused by environment, including pollens, insects, especially fleas, food and common household allergens are common problems in dogs. It's easy to alleviate your dog's discomfort at home with ProSense. ProSense itch and allergy products provide fast relief from symptoms like itchy, irritated skin, skin infections like hot spots and watery eyes. ProSense products are veterinary formulated and recommended to ensure the very best for your pet. Try ProSense today. Your dog will thank you for it. Pets love life. Love them back with ProSense. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Looking for the best advice on pet health, safety, and travel? Connect with the Pet Lady. Dana Humphrey, also known as the Pet Lady, will surely be in a city near you real soon. She will be spreading the good news for pets and pet lovers from tips on dog and cat care, pet industry trends, and the best events for you and your four-legged family members. Need a great gift idea or insights on the hottest pet gadgets? Simply follow the Pet Lady on Twitter at PetLadyWorld. You can also learn more at thepetlady at thepetlady.net. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. And welcome back. We're here live with Dr. Jeff Werber on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. Um, I'm enjoying a very, very amazing, nice uh, Sunday morning here in Los Angeles. Yeah, it's kind of muggy. We don't. I'm not used to this muggy. I mean, literally, our heat's usually dry. Open windows, great. I'm on the west side, so we get you know we get ocean breeze. And um, boy, uh, it's it's pretty hot and muggy. Got the air conditioning going. So now I know what you feel like. Those of you who live in the states in the south etc so anyway <clears throat> coughing 
I'm seeing more and more coughing this time of year for a number of reasons. And the, the key is lifestyle. I think the important thing to note, when you have a coughing dog, it's important to understand the there are so many factors, so many different types of cough, so many reasons behind a cough. So you have to look at the uh, some of the criteria. Number one, age of the dog, breed of the dog, lifestyle of the dog. And then what you do is you kind of put all these together. What How's the dog doing? For example, let's give you the most common coughs that we see. I hate the word, but we call it kennel cough. And the reason I don't like the word kennel cough is dogs no longer just kenneled. They go to daycare. They go in groups to, with the dog walker to the park. They take dogs, everyone in the nice weather, they go, they take their dogs everywhere. They're all the outdoor eateries, the cafes that allow dogs sitting outside. So I know we have a street here called Melrose. We have the Third Street Promenade. Everybody brings their dogs. So I like to call it, go to the dog park cough, go to daycare cough, go to the vet cough, go to the groomer cough, go to Melrose cough, go to the Third Street Promenade cough. Basically, it's everywhere. It's endemic in places this time of year because everybody is out with their dog. And because of the, the dynamic of the working family has changed and so many dogs go to daycare facilities, it's very, very prevalent. So when you have a cough and you have a dog that is alert, happy, playful, eating, nothing else is wrong. It's a fairly young dog. The dog does go, has a history of going to daycare, playing with other dogs. The dog just was rescued from a rescue facility or a shelter and presents with this dry, hacking, non-productive cough that is worse early morning, late night, and excitement. I'm thinking, you know, without any testing, I'm thinking this is good old-fashioned infectious tracheobronchitis, a.k.a., again, I'll use the, the, the term inappropriately, kennel cough, and it is very common in this scenario. Now, do I panic when I see if everything? I can tickle the trachea. I can put a little pressure on the trachea and induce this cough. Then this is kennel cough until proven otherwise. Am I going to necessarily x-ray this dog? And the answer is I'm not. Absolutely not. Not right away. I'm going to say this looks like a duck, walks like a duck, quacks like a duck. It's probably a duck. You know, I'm following my favorite rule in practice, the KISS rule. Keep it simple, stupid. And I'm stupid. I'm going to keep it simple. And I'm just going to go with what's the most obvious thing based on the presentation in front of me. And too many veterinarians out there, whether it's they want your money, I have no idea. But when I see vets that have, this is classic kennel cough. What are you x-raying? Oh my God, it sounds like he's got a bone stuck in his throat, doctor. If he had a bone stuck in his throat, he'd be dead by now. They couldn't breathe anymore. And you can just easily say, well, wait a second. So so they're coughing like 24-7 nonstop. No, 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 no. But at night, oh my God. Well, if they're coughing worse early morning, late night, and with excitement, but otherwise they're fine and they're eating and they're happy and they're playful and all the other, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and they have a history, it is kennel cough until proven otherwise. So I'm going to treat first, and then maybe if we don't respond, then we'll do things later. Now, let's talk about a little dog that, and I'm talking dogs like Maltese and Palms and Yorkies, that don't have that history. They're middle-aged. They have not gone out of the apartment or the house for the last four years, except for the little walk in the neighborhood. And they have one of these coughs, and they, the more they cough, the worse it gets. Now I'm thinking something else. I'm thinking something called collapsing trachea or a tracheal stenosis. Yes, we're going to x-ray. If that history meets a certain criteria, then I'm going to be thinking that this is a collapsing trachea, and we definitely want to try, or something called a redundant dorsal tracheal membrane. Also, these dogs, still happy, still playful, but they really hack, and they, they went, they're trying so hard, and there's this inspiratory and expiratory, and that poor dog is sometimes gasping for breath. This could be serious, and it's a tough condition because there are really no good surgeries for it. 
most of the surgeons that I know try to keep away from sur- doing surgery on a trachea like the plague. They do not want to do surgery on a trachea. There were some great techniques. And what I mean were is because they were very short-lived. So right afterwards, they do great. And then what happens in time, it actually is probably worse than it was beforehand. So any of the techniques that put pressure on a trachea wall, either from the outside or from the inside, but they put stents, they put these like expanding devices in, seem to block off blood supply as well. And then the trachea gets worse. I actually remember one of my former technicians went on to vet school and became a board-certified veterinary surgeon. And I was talking on the phone and you know, some of the things she likes to do. And we got on the subject of tracheal collapse and surgery. And she goes, oh, my God, no, she learned this great technique. And, oh, it's fantastic. And we love it. I said, really? Because, you know, the other surgeons that I know here in town just don't like doing anything in the trachea. And P.S., I talked to her about eight months later, a year later. She goes, yeah, we're not doing that surgery anymore. So that's uh, how I feel about tracheal collapse. But it is something that can present early, very similarly to your good old-fashioned kennel cough. Now, let's say the cough is very moist. You have a dog that's still pretty happy, but he's got a really wet cough. It's productive. It's not dry and hacky. Uh, stuff, phlegm is coming out. And um, as I said, dog's acting okay. But in this case, there, it could be still infectious tracheobronchitis. And the infection could be more in the bronchiolar system than just the upper airways. But you know what? I'm, I'm x-raying this dog. Because this could also be an early pneumonia. And that would sometimes ITB, infectious tracheobronchitis, can turn into a, a mild pneumonia. And certainly if the dog is not doing well, any dog with a cough that is not doing well, as I say, ADR ain't doing right. It's a little sluggish, is off food, moping around, discharge coming out of the nose. Oh, no, now, now we're thinking this could be pneumonia. This dog is getting worked up. This dog is going to get blood work. This dog is getting x-rays, et cetera, et cetera. That's very important as well. So... The last thing I want to talk about are other conditions that really aren't cough-related, but coughs are being caused by this other disease, and that's going to be heart disease. And what happens is, for a number of reasons, it could be more of just a tracheal, dry, hacky cough. So if I have an older dog that comes in that is a little bit off, doesn't have a history of going to daycare, certainly if it's a breed-related, you know, on every one of these dogs, I'm listening to the chest anyway. And I pick up a murmur, even if I don't pick up a murmur. If the dog is older and doesn't fit the criteria, x-rays are essential, maybe even an ECG or a cardiac echo if that heart is large, because a large heart, a failing heart, could cause coughing for a number of reasons. For example, if the failure is on the left side of the heart, which is more common, uh, you have left-sided heart disease, that can lead to what we call congestive heart failure, because the blood flow into the left heart is coming from the lungs. It was just going from the right side of the heart into the lungs for reoxygenation, and then it goes to the left side of the heart to be pumped out to the body. Well, guess what? If that left heart is not working well, then there's a backup of all this blood, and what suffers from this backup is getting this fluid buildup, this congestion in the lung field. So that could be a problem. Just an enlarged heart by itself could cause a problem. You take an x-ray of a dog sitting on their side, and you see this huge heart. If you look at the silhouette, the shadow of the trachea, it is pushed what we call dorsal flexed, dorsiflexion. It's pushed up closer to the spinal cord. So if you kind of picture a trachea that's coming through the neck down into the lungs, and then it's going pushed back up again, that area where the airflow is going from downward to upward, think of like the Snake River. And so what's going to happen is you're going to get an irritation in the trachea. So basically, 
it causes a tracheitis because of that pushed up trachea, that trachea that is dorsiflexed, and it also puts pressure on the trachea at the hilus, which is the area at the very end of the trachea, as the carina, the, the split between the two main stem left and main stem bronchi split from each other to the right set of lungs and to the left side set of lungs. So that too gets all crunched, and therefore you, we can get a cough as well. So what I'm trying to get out, as you can see, a number of different reasons for dogs coughing. If they're acting fine and eating and everything else is perfect, and they have a history of going outside, playing with other dogs, going to doggy daycare, going to the groomer, whatever, think infectious tracheobronchitis or really just tracheitis. If the cough is that's dry and hacky, if the cough is moist, then you might have just a tracheobronchitis. I would recommend they're doing an x-ray just to make sure that we're not dealing with a pneumonia because sometimes an advanced tracheobronchitis can mimic a pneumonia and you may miss it. But if the dog is not acting right, is ADR, if the disease, if the breed is right, small, small breeds, the Maltese, the Palms, the Yorkies that are known to get tracheal collapse, that's something that needs to be evaluated. There's some meds for most of these, but understand that if your dog has a heart issue, we need to treat the heart issue too, not just the cough. So see your veterinarian. Do not try to treat these on your own. At least they're in a call. Your veterinarian will ask you the right questions. There are a few over-the-counter cough syrups that might be effective, but be careful. Do not. Some of the, the cough syrups out there that have decongestants can be harmful to your pet. So always check with your veterinarian first before using anything over the counter or off of your shelves for your pet. Anyway, I hope I got to clear some things up about coughing. If you have any questions about coughing, coughing dog, how your dog is being treated, what your dog is being treated with or why, uh, don't hesitate to get a hold of me at Dr. Jeff, Dr. Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com. Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you here next week. I'm trying to get a live guest in studio with me next week. And um, once again, any questions about your dogs, any topics that you would like to hear about a little bit more in depth that better help you understand your pets, go ahead and send me that email. Once again, drjeff at petliferadio.com. Once again, thank you to Kong Veterinary Products, Merck and Brevecto, Save This Life Microchip, and ProSense Pet Products. We'll see you next week. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.